Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. back everybody a super secret bonus episode dun, 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 bonus episode just for y'all because we like you so much <laughs> but without any further ado the hostess with the most is daniele bolelli we need to thank very much mr sean faust who decided to sponsor this bonus episode so a couple of quick things again it is somebody who's purely doing something i like the attitude behind it because he's doing something to promote uh, his music um, and so I'm going to put a bunch of links to if you guys want to check out some of his music. You know, downloading a single, even when you buy one, is what, a buck or something? Not exactly her chattering. So if you want to check out a fellow Drunken Taoist listener who's giving us a bonus episode, that would be really sweet if you do. I'll put all the notes in the episodes, uh, in the episode notes. Um, couple of things about him. Uh, he sounds some of his uh, main influences. Among them, he lists things like anything from Pink Floyd, uh, 90s rock such as Live, uh, the sort of free format of uh, groups like The Grateful Dead or Fish that we love deeply. Uh, and as he put it, sprinkle in a little dash of classic progressive rock a la Rush and early yes, and you begin to understand some of the our man's music i think i just got more confused yeah if you guys don't know what it is just check it out just try uh he's a good sounds man. like joint smoking <laughs> highly likely that's very very possible he has a single out which is the main thing that he wants to push right now i mean if you guys want to check everything else great but he has a single called signal won't see this coming i aim to One of the things that I thought was really sweet about it is that he's going to donate 50% of whatever he gets from um, you guys mm, checking out uh, this, this, um, this one song or actually the other ones as well 
to Equality Now, which is an organization that's advocating for human rights of women and girls. It's kind of a worldwide thing and trying to basically stop abuse against women and young girls. So pro-girl hippie music. Doesn't get much better than that, no, right? That seems to be all right. So yes. So no, plunk a dollar down. iTunes available or uh, all over the place. I'm gonna put all these different from iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby. I think CD Baby. I didn't know CD Baby before, but he says that's the one he gets the most from. But again, I'll put the link directly in the episode notes for you guys to download. So everybody, give him a click. Check it out. Help the folks to help you to a fine, excellent, excellent extra episode. Now, if I recall, there won't be any additional pitching on this thing. No, of course. This is Sean's deal. Bonus episode. It's all about the man who sponsored it today. Thank you so much, Sean. By the way, those of you guys, the millions of listeners that we are sure to have in northern New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. uh, Sean teaches guitar and piano as well. So... And if you guys are in dire need of music lesson, he's out there. First lesson, half price. Indeed. And um, so without further ado, today we have a former MMA fighter, Brazilian jiu-jitsu enthusiast and teacher and the whole deal, Joel Garrison. We recorded with him a long time ago and we couldn't figure out a way out to make it happen because we had so many episodes pre-recorded. But his stories are so old that it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This shit's from the 80s, y'all. Yeah, there's some stuff that we're going to... No internet, no cell phone, no television. This is all... This is like... Tonight on the MNA, don't be a fright in Japan. Yeah, there's there's some glorious stuff. Holy smokes, Tojo strikes again. And then there's going to be some philosophical stuff that's more uh, everlasting, so that doesn't have to do with dates. Evergreen. Without any further ado, let's get rolling. Picture this. This is late 90s. I'm now in um, Sotel Boulevard in Los Angeles. So LA is a weird place. You got these areas where one street for three blocks is an entirely ethnic area where every single store belongs to one ethnic group and one only. And if you go one block over, it's nothing to do with it, right? So. So one area of Sotel Boulevard in LA between Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, Olympic, it's a full-on Japanese place. Every single store is Japanese. Restaurants are Japanese. The video stores are all Japanese. Everything is. And I'm hunting down video store by video store for back in the day. We're still talking VHS, not even DVD. And I'm hunting down for any mixed martial art thing I can get my hands on, right? And I discovered this one video store where they will will have very shady trades with them all the time where I'll give them illegal bootlegs of some things. They'll give me free trades in other stuff, the kind of place I like. And as I scroll through, my MMA nerdish happiness rises tremendously because I run into a whole series of VHS from Shuto, one of the very early Japanese organization of MMA. Actually, even before UFC, they had Shuto. Uh, has been a talent pool for a lot of major Japanese stars and not just Japanese, there's like Anderson Silva for example, before winning anything else won a title in Shuto you know, there was, uh, Shuto was you know, was awesome, I loved it Was I've never even heard of that, was that some sort of like off of kickboxing that formed early, early in Japan or it's the oldest MMA organization in the world yeah. so it truly was MMA and it used, they point. used to feed into Pride 
Cool. And uh, there was sort of the lightweight and bantamweight and welterweight talent pool of the world. Exactly. Wow. He was He was brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's like back in the day when like late 80s or something, they started... Uh, many of the Japanese pro wrestlers wanted to switch to MMA and they were like tired of just working matches. They wanted to really do the real thing. And so they started creating this organization that were half and half. They were kind of pro wrestling, but then kind of real. And then they switched to real as time went by. Shuto was created by one of the Japanese idol of pro, of pro wrestling, Tiger Mask. This dude would awesome. In any case, I won't go that <laughs> down that path because I can get lost very easily. But in any case, the Satoru Sayama. Yeah, that's that, right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in any case, back to our story. <laughs> we are so I'm in this video store and I start finding all this Shuto VHS. I'm as happy as I can be. I start watching all the matches. One of my early idols, still to this day, is one of the names that when I think MMA is. Who do I enjoy watching the most beside the big name? Is all Rumina Sato. Rumina Sato is like a god of grappling in so many ways. His approach to grappling is so exciting, so wild, so submissions from everywhere, flying arm bars, toho, it, the whole full game. And I see this one match. His very first, uh, Rumina was on a tier at the beginning of his career. He was winning every fight, quick submission all the time, super spectacular, until he runs into. A good man from Canada, who's to my right in this moment, who um, first MMA fight ever. So in Shuto, I'm sure they are like, yeah, we'll get a can for Rumina. You know, it's first new fight. You know, you can get a spectacular, another super cool submission and everybody's happy, you know, and it doesn't quite pan out that way. Not only Sato will lose to our good guest today. He'll also lose by submission, which is something that Sato really it just did not happen to him, not before in his career, and it won't happen for a long time after in his career again. So I was like, who the hell is this guy? And because beautiful style, great hip throws, a submission, like the whole thing was a great technical grappling match. Good hair. Of Ooh. course, needless to say. <laughs> so without further ado, before I go too nerdy into my own uh, recollections of it all, here is Mr. Joel Gerson for you guys, who in, uh, well, you can tell in a little bit how these all strange events leads from me in a video store in LA in the late 90s, finding, feeding my nerdish satisfaction to actually us being in a recording studio in 2014, talking about some of this stuff. But it was Joel? actually a very interesting time because Carlos was lighting up the newsreels back then, Carlos Newton. Uh -huh. And we were training partners. Originally, um, I was training with my instructor for many, many years. I was a senior uh, senior student under my instructor. And then it was Carlos's first grappling match. And we fought. And he was always a monster. Even He didn't even know jujitsu, like mm -hmm. no grappling per se. But he was just so uh, intuitive in terms of his sense of feel and touch and technically. Mm -hmm. So eventually, uh, I mean, I, I won that match. But he came and joined our club and started training much more seriously. So then... At some point, oh, first there was the extreme fighting championships on a, on a native reserve. Right. Uh, and Carlos went over and fought. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to fight. Actually, here, you'll appreciate this. I was supposed to fight on that. Mm -hmm. That was where uh, Henzo was fighting. Yep. Or Half. Was it Half or Henzo? I think Half. Half, yeah. yeah. But um, I got home from school and I saw back, the, back then, you, all you, you didn't, there was no texting. You just get missed calls on your phone. Mm -hmm. And I saw my call display that my coach had called me like 15 times, which is like 
Right. My coach doesn't call me. Yeah. Like it's just it's not it's a one direction communication stream. Right. And I call him back and he goes, uh, it's too late. I go, what are you talking about? I was writing an exam. Right. Again, it was fucking university, right? Getting in the way of, of course. my life. But uh, I had an exam conflict and they had contacted uh, my coach for, they needed a couple fighters. So I was supposed to fight on that card and I would have had an easy walkthrough against a kickboxer ah, you... and then probably been much more famous right. <laughs> in Japan at this, at this point. But, uh, but the point was that Carlos had gone in and had a major fight. And eventually, eventually that led to him fighting against Eric Paulson mm-hmm. in the Valtudo. And he beat Eric Paulson. In less than a minute. Yeah. yeah that was and crazy. Eric Paulson was like a god in Japan back mm-hmm. then. So there was lots of takedowns, easy double leg takedowns. And um, I think he armbarred him in the end. Yep, he did. I'm not mistaken. He did. So then the Japanese said to my instructor, they said, do you have anybody else? And at that point, I was still technically senior to Carlos. Mm-hmm. And my instructor kind of smiled and said, let me look around. And so, so, but before that happened, I have to backtrack. So this is where it gets more interesting. On the card that Eric, uh, that Carlos fought Eric Paulson, uh, John Lewis had fought Romina Sato. Now, mm-hmm. John Lewis was a scary bad dude back then. Yep. You had this guy who was literally shredded, BJJ black belt, very well-rounded for the time, um, beating legitimate guys. And and Sato goes in and kills him. Yep. And we were all, we, Carlos came back from the win. We were all celebrating and we we're watching on VHS, of course, right? It's like we might as well say Betamax at right. this point. VHS, no, no texting. What are you talking about? <laughs> what is this universe you speak of? He was already ahead in of the industrial yet. revolution. So time. if only you had had an iPhone, you would have been famous much earlier. Oh yeah, it would, my life would have been altered Damn forever. Time. Uh, so we're sitting around and we're watching. They're watching this fights, this fight series from the mm-hmm. Valtudo, and we see Sato basically beat up John Lewis, and we're like, our jaws hit the floor. And I'll never forget this. My coach makes a joke, and he goes. Don't worry. You're not have to, you're not going to have to fight him for your first fight. Before we didn't know anything. Right. And and it was just kind of like of course because that would be ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like that, that would just be like it's like oh yeah, you're going to fight George St. Pierre now. Yeah. Really? It's my first fight. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll just you're getting a free trip to Japan. If I remember correctly, and if I don't, let's pretend because I mm-hmm. can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe that Sato beating John Lewis was the very first time that a known Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt has beaten a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in MMA competition. It was the first time uh, a BJJ black belt had been beaten by a non-BJJ Right, black belt. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was a, it was a big deal. Sato actually had been undefeated for five years, right? And he was considered like there was rankings, informal rankings, actually formal and informal rankings. But he was considered, forget about number one. He was considered pound for pound the best fighter in the world at that time, right? So it yes. was just a ridiculous notion that I'd be going over there and fighting him. Mm-hmm. Right, those of you guys who, if you have any even remote interest in MMA. And I'm guessing that if you don't have a remote interest in MMA, we have lost you by now. So those of <laughs> you guys who are still with us, check out Rumina Sato highlights. Go on YouTube, do your homework there. You'll see some amazing stuff. The guy was just, I mean, still today, it's like, do I think that Sato was the best guy ever? No, of course not. But do I think, think that Sato had the most exciting style? And it's not just, not just you. I mean, Joe Silva, mm-hmm. who's seen arguably more MMA fighters than anybody well, on earth and has studied it, 
to this day, that's his favorite, at least one of one of his favorite, and I've heard his favorite fighter yep. of all time just to watch. He had a cat named Rumina Gato in honor of oh, wow. <laughs> the whole... <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he changed it. Yeah. yeah. So then the next step was kind of funny as well because the Japanese sent a fax over and they said, okay, we'd like Mr. Newton to fight Kusanagi or whoever he fought. And we'd like to invite Mr. Gerson over to fight Romina Sato. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, like the next week or yeah. something like that. Uh, they moved very quick. And it was off, you know, here's another dated term, facts. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so my coach was like, oh, and they said, um, and even if he loses, so we're going to offer him this much money. And even if he loses, we promise to bring him back two more times. Mm -hmm. That was the, the contract. My coach, without hesitation, said, you should sign it. It's good. You should, like, you should do yeah. this. And I'm like, this is insane. And then something in my mind took over and I said, wait a second. I said, okay, fine. But if I win, I want this much money. And I doubled how much they were asking right. for. And the Japanese signed it back, basically laughing, saying, of course, no problem. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> because, because they never, yeah. they just was like, you know, it's not happening. And of in course. the end, it turned out to be the biggest payout in the history of Shudo at that time. Nice, 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 yeah. nice. And another sidebar, I mean, there's so many little things here I can go on, but... A couple of people in Japan had to commit seppuku after that, after well, they sign off Here's the interesting this. thing is the president of the Shudo Federation, Mr. Ishiyama, apparently after the fight was, you think he'd be you know, wanting to kill himself, but he was actually ecstatic hmm. because now he has a storyline. Oh. It's not good when the champion kills people. All the time. Now it's, if he loses now, there's all kinds of stories that right. can happen, all this kind of stuff. And it created a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. So he was actually very, very happy. Nice. I was scared out of my fucking mind. Of course. So, you know, as long as someone's happy. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. was that night like? You've just won the fight. You're in Japan well, alone. Even, no, but here, I, let's go back. Because even before that, um, my <laughs> coach, it gets worse. Like, my coach had left. He went gone back to Israel for most of my training. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of alone. I had a boxing coach that I was working with. But the reality is the striking component was totally foreign to me. And I hadn't gone into martial arts because I like to get kicked and punched in the face. Like, right. I was a grappler through and through. And I had a heavy bag growing up in... In, you know, as in my garage as a kid, and I would kick it and do stuff, but nothing proper. So we're doing sparring. <laughs> and back then, you couldn't find fight shorts. You couldn't, there was no coordination between coaches. Right. Um, nobody knew in terms of the proper, like my coach had, you know, he knew strength and conditioning stuff. But between that, I was a full-time university student and teaching and training. You're not getting proper rest. Of course. Your body smashed to shit. And um, all the heavy sparring's done late. I, like I was busted up going into the fight. So it was not a pleasurable experience. Right. This is the prehistory of MMA in a lot of ways. Yeah. Before like, people started figuring out this is a wild West, man. This is, yeah. I would go to physiotherapy and I, for fear of looking like a hypochondriac, I wouldn't tell them about all my injuries. I would tell them the next day that there's in addition this one. Right. And then the next day I'm like, oh, I need an ice pack for this too. And this and that. And then by the end of the week, I remember I had emptied the clinic refrigerator. There was no more ice packs for other patients. Wow. Yeah. There was just so many problems with my body at that point. Like right. just getting smashed. Because the other thing is, you're not training against 155 <coughs> technical 155 pounders. Yeah. You're fighting 200 pound ex-cons. Right. As part of your training. Right. Oh, yeah. Like these are not mentally stable people that are, you know, these are juiced out. Um, Smash. Yeah. Like they just... Right. They're not technical guys. And and just to, to your point about Sato, 
So Sato has a style that you can't duplicate in training. Right. This no is way. another problem. It's like, okay, how do I train against Anderson Silva? Oh, well, your best bet is to bring in Pele. Good luck with that. Right. But for a Sato back then, it was like nobody moves like him. No, no way. Nobody. So to duplicate the kind of stuff he's doing in a fight, it's not easy. No, that's for sure. That's why the whole thing is pretty, like, so, like, what happened? You get to Japan, you know, everybody's thinking, okay, sacrificial victim for Sato's <laughs> highlight reel. Before that, I actually sent a fax to my coach in Israel, because he was, that's where he was, and I'm like, you call off the fight. I'm not, this is, I'm not, this yeah. isn't good. I don't, I'm scared on my mind. This is bad. This and you know, I'm just not good. I'm not ready. And he goes, and he wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I don't know if, like he believed in me in air quotes, yeah. but I don't know to this day if he actually n knew I could beat him or he just didn't give a fuck and was going to bask in the limelight of a free trip to Japan and his fighters being on this card. And right. worst case scenario, you get two more fights in Japan. Hey, I got <laughs> where to do I sign up? <laughs> I got to come with you, eat sushi, <laughs> go in the ring, get yeah. smashed. I don't give a yeah, fuck. He's going to bang hey, Japanese broads all week. Right, yeah. exactly. So, so, I, so in the end, like, so then we get to Japan and he tells us, listen. I can tell that the relationship with your coach has, must have continued very well over time. No, I don't talk to him <laughs> Yeah, anymore. I figure. Yeah. I was wondering who he had money on. So Right. Exactly. He, no, yeah. my coach took 50% of our purse. Oh, nice. That's yeah. always how you want to well, do business. His justification was he's the coach, the trainer, the psychologist, the manager, and he just had a list of different hats that he wore. And for that, he was taking 50%. And I was in university. Like, I'm just, I'm paying yeah. membership to him. You're paying membership and then <laughs> and teaching. 50%. And yeah, yeah, 50%. That's the business you want to get into, right? Just that's Israeli, rob your that's, students blind. That's Israeli negotiation yeah. tactic. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what happens? We get to Japan. He says to us, basically, listen, let me do all the talking. The Japanese don't like it when you try and learn their language. And uh, we were quiet most of the time, which is stifling for me because I'm actually decent. I'm pretty good with languages. Right. And as part of my training with him growing up, I had to learn Japanese words for all of, all of my belts. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I want to string words together. Like I'm like dying to ask right. someone where the bathroom is in Japanese. <laughs> like when can I use that? Right. I need to use that at some point this trip. <laughs> I have this book that I've memorized. Yes. <laughs> and I really need to pee. So uh, and, yes. yeah. I don't really need to pee. I just want right. to use. I just want to look like I can speak Japanese. I just want to cool. see what their bathrooms look like. They're certainly going to be foreign. Oh, no, the sinks are very low. Like it's you're you're on your knees at the sink in the hotel in Japan. Wow. Yeah, and the sink is coming up to your waist. Yeah, everything is. Yeah, and the room is half of this size. It's just yeah, it's a different it's a different place. Um, so we get to Japan, and then I'm still scared out of my mind. Like I'm thinking to myself like, and I've done a lot of mental training for because I competed in judo and jujitsu competitions, sure. and I did a lot of visualization, a lot of mental training as part of all my fights in general. Like just mm -hmm. it, religiously, I'd visualize everything, visualize positive, you know, positively that you're winning and technically doing stuff that's good and whatnot. And I couldn't. I was trying to convince myself that I could win. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was bullshitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> what city was it in? This is in Tokyo. So, oh, 30 million people on top of that. Like a friend of mine said it best, like not that long ago. Uh, a good friend of mine, Terry Riggs, he said, uh, he goes, how do you go into a fight knowing you can't win? Right. And it, it's just one of those things. You, you, just, you just jump in. Yep. And uh, the yeah. bell rings. The bell rings, and um, I mean, the strategy was to clinch, take him down, 
and not get into exchanges. But then even on the ground, like you're trying to, the goal was to not be in his guard. Yeah, right. Because there's I mean, crazy triangles and arm bars and, and whatnot. It's like you clinch and take him down and he's one of the best grapplers in the world. Yeah, so, so now yes, I'm on the ground. Uh, Congratulations. So you can take him down, just don't end up in this position. Right. <laughs> like your keys to victory are this. Yeah. If you don't get this, well, don't worry, it's only three rounds. Right. What's and, the worst that could happen? And don't worry, you're probably not going to see the end of the first oh, one anyway. There's, there's so, yeah. And there's other factors too. My father was dying of cancer at the time. Right. Oof. Yeah. And uh, my mother, like, like my parents are Jewish. Mm -hmm. So for them, and my dad is a university professor. So for them, it's like the mere fact that I'm going to do this is like, you know, in French, my mother would say, mon fils est un casseur, which is like the worst thing. It's like he's saying he's, my son is a bruiser. It was such a, <laughs> it was such a stain on the family name right. that, you know. You're basically doing gay porn. You're just yeah. one well, step Well, anything less than that. medical school, yes. you're basically a, a abandoned. Right. And I mean, you know, you know the joke with the Jewish mother that has the two sons. One's the president of the United States, the other's a doctor. You know this joke? And she's sitting at home one day, and and her and the phone rings. She's sitting at home with her girlfriend, and the phone rings, and it's the son, the president. And uh, she answers the phone. The son says, "Hey, mom, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. When are you coming to the White House? You know, we have a room set up for you. It's been so long." And she says. Oh, I'm not really sure, but I'm busy right now. Can I call you back? He says, yeah, no problem. She gets off the phone and her friend says, oh, who is that? And she goes, uh, oh, that was my son, not the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's the only acceptable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So to this day, like my mother doesn't know what I studied in university. She thought I was trained. I, I, I still think she thinks I'm black belt in Kung Fu. Like right, she doesn't right. have any clue what I do. <laughs> Something. Something. You know, of course. So, but then on top of that, my father, like my father gave me his blessing, but he's, sick right so there's a lot of shit going on mm -hmm. full full course load all that kind of stuff of course and now I, and then uh and then there's so then you're also waking up at 5 a.m to train because the the time zone difference people of forget course. about that so yep. that's a major factor uh entrance music get into the ring how many days earlier did you fly in i believe it was a week but at the same time yeah that's the thing that sucks you're adapting to for the fight but at the same time it's like when everybody else, namely your coach, is out having fun, you're there shitting bricks in the in the hotel waiting for this fight to happen. And you're you trying to make exactly, weight. Yeah, and you're, you're not exactly weight. enjoying Japan. You're definitely not enjoying Japan because even when you're anywhere, you're not really allowed to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, no, I'm just, I was just, there's so many things coming back. I mean, basically... The fight goes on, the fight's going, and he smashes my leg with a low kick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, he had hard low kicks. And the problem is there's two, there's two good ways to check a low kick, maybe three. You can check it with your knee, your shin, or you can eat it and put weight on it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't check it with my shin because I had a hematoma on my shin that if you had touched it with your hand, I'd slap your hand away. Right. That's how sensitive it was. The cartilage in my knee was actually torn. So if my heel came into my butt, like you bend your knee too yeah. aggressively, the knee would blow up. And then eating it on, I it was actually never, I actually didn't even know how to eat it properly, like where you put your weight on and turn right. your knee out hard. So I would, I was kind of forced to like eat it on the back of my thigh, which is so fucking painful. Of course. So he ham and like people had kicked me in, in training, but nothing close to that. Yeah. Like it's just not anything close to that. And you just kind of feel your head like you just feel the endorphins starting to race through your brain to go to that area to like keep you alive like so you don't pass out from the pain like it's getting hit by a baseball bat right um so that's just hammering into my leg and you can feel your energy going down of like course. a video game yeah so he's hitting me like there was nothing that was finishing me but you just kind of feel the combination of getting punched and kicked the stomach this that 
and uh, and it's just not an enjoyable experience. Really, it sounded so much fun so far. <laughs> I love, it's like people I, always people say, well, "How come you don't fight in MMA? Fight MMA anymore?" And I just look at them like, "You've never been in a fight before, have right?" You? You just don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and uh, I was basically trying to hit him with some of my money throws. Um, I tried at one point. There's this one big throw I have that I, but I, it, like, I didn't get it. And you can hear my coach in the video going, ah. Right. Because, he, you know, and then, and then I finally got around his legs and there was a scramble. And I'm like, catch the arm, catch the arm, catch the arm. Because I, you know, I could feel him pushing, whatever. And I caught it. And I'm there and I'm squeezing so hard because in my head I'm thinking, fuck, if he gets out of this, I'm dead. Yeah, this is my last chance. But the, at the same time, I'm flexing so hard with my legs that the lactic acid's flushing through my legs that I know I have nothing left in my legs and this guy's not tapping. So you know that how you put the, you know put somebody's arm under your armpit? Uh-huh. But it's like, that's only really reserved for like when you're trying to kill somebody. Yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna have to put it under my armpit and right. he's still not tapping. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my worst nightmare come true. I've hit him with my money move and it's not working. Right. I'm dead. And then the ref stopped it. Yeah, it and was his, the ref who stopped it. The ref stopped right, it. Yeah. And his arm, his arm was jacked up, but like yeah. he wasn't. My coach is yelling, break it, break it. Right. And then, uh, and then we got up, but I couldn't get up. Like right. my, my, yeah, my teammates got me up because my legs were just fried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the audience is going crazy and you can see their facial reactions. It was like, you know, not supposed to happen or whatnot. Of course. But then it was interesting the rest of the week because we got uh, limoed around. Nice. And we went to see Kashiwazaki, who was a world judo champion, and train with him and train with um, some of his students. And that was like a video game. It's like you're fighting the same guy over and over again. Right. But, um, but yeah, it was exhausting, the whole thing. I bet. Coming down off of that. I bet. At the same time, yeah, your first MMA match is against one of the biggest MMA guys in the world at the time and uh, you win it. Yeah. That's a trip right there. Yeah. Yeah. So then right. then the parents are happy. Uh, then they were, okay. <laughs> you make that nice. phone call back home. You're like, I won. And they're like, what? Nice. Freaking out. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. You'll be able to see it in four years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But then as you said, yeah, then after that, you, you did one more fight for Shuto. And, um, yeah. And that was an interesting fight because... I wasn't afraid of that guy. Right. So I didn't really train. It wasn't like coming off of Sato, you're like, okay, well, I just beat the number one guy in the world. And that was, it was just a hobby to me. Right. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and again, I'm in university with a full course load and I'm like having right. to get up, go to Richmond Hill from downtown, from like midtown Toronto, which is, takes about, Maybe it could take well over an hour. Mm-hmm. And then my university was an hour downtown. So Ooh. I'd have to do that trip sometimes twice a day. Ish. So you're going up early in the morning to train at like, and I'm not a night, I'm not a right. morning guy um, to get your body for, for Japan time. It's just, it's just not, you know, I don't know. There's, you don't have the community around you. It's of not, course. it just wasn't like a good atmosphere to be yeah, um, of course. doing your, your training. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was a fight that um, I didn't really train as hard as I should have. Did you decide after that you are done, or was there something with Shuto going on also that they no, were... they actually wanted me back to fight. They want they said we would like Mister Gerson to fight Kaul Uno. Oh great! Again, yeah. all the top the Shuto <laughs> gods, right? Yeah, Kaul Uno, multiple times UFC veteran, Shuto champion, to the whole beat thing. the shit out of Romina yeah, Sato twice. Course. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and my coach is like, "You should do this fight." He's of not a course. big striker, and I'm like, 
but you're still taking 50%, you son yeah, of a bitch. Exactly. And I said to him, I go, listen, you're taking 50%, but like, I'm getting, I'm the one in there with risking my life and getting the shit kicked out of me, and you're taking 50%. And yeah. he was just like hardlining it. Um, and uh, so I just said, but I still was very loyal to him. Like right. I, it wasn't an option to train under somebody else. There was nobody actually in Canada back then that you could train under. So for me, it wasn't that important. I'm not going to go to Brazil and, and train. And I was like, okay, well, I have a choice to like um, leave my master right, or betray him or just not do this, which I don't even want to do that much to begin with. And fuck, I don't really think I want to fight this other Japanese guy, to be right. honest. <laughs> because this kicking and punching thing wasn't... And the funny thing is, in the past 10 years, I've worked much harder on my boxing and striking because sure. you can do it gradually. But that conditioning process, people don't realize, unless you were beaten as a child by your parents... Anybody can learn to give a beating. It's learning how to take a beating that is the tricky part. Right. So moral of the story, parents, beat your kids. It will be good for them. It could Listen, they could be UFC champion. At the same time, there's also the problem of when you get too many hits over time, then you also get the point of the hill where you have got used to getting hit, but suddenly you take one too many and you can't take a hit anymore. It's like you look at a guy like Nogueira who got the hell beaten out of him in crazy matches and he would always like nothing faced him and now if you touch him you drop him you know it's like you can knock him out like two days it's Noguera it's Liddell it's yeah. this guy it's that guy and we're still gonna see the, the effects of these guys down the road there's exactly. still, there's guys that are punchy that nobody knows about I, and I, I, without mentioning names I had former UFC champions in my car um, and if I was looking forward and, and driving them I wouldn't know what the hell they were saying unless I looked at them and read their lips because they're slurring their words so badly. Damn, that can be good. Yeah. So there's going to be, and it's going to keep happening because people's striking is only getting better. Yeah. Um, I, and I think people are getting better in terms of sparring and knowing what's smart and, and not smart. But but over long term, we're going to see we're going to see people having problems. Right. You know, on what you were saying about the obvious physical dangers of any combat sport, not even combat, because again, football, how many concussions do you get, right? It's pretty crazy. You get in a lot of sports. The bottom line is it's great for your body in some ways, and it's horrible for your body in other ways. And clearly when you're talking not just body, but you're talking brain, the, the problems, they are exponentially more complicated in that regard. And, and the real problem with the brain is that it's irreversible. Right. Like you have a joint injury, you're living with it. Eh, sometimes it gets better, this and that. But uh, the problem with concussions is the more you have, the more you get. Right. And the worse they are and the longer they are. Like if you look at the description of what people experience when they're, when they're concussed mm -hmm. and it's long term, it's literally like being hungover or drunk, but right. over like a six month period. Yeah. It's terrible. Of course. Of course. No, that's definitely not fun stuff. On that note, <coughs> our um, one of the good men sponsoring the podcast, Bennett from Shore Design T-shirt, sent me this link that I thought was freaking awesome. He sent me this thing. They're basically they're developing this technology to have this full body suit that you can move in like it's your own body, like it's not like this rigid hard thing that can absorb just about. You can be hit with a baseball bat and it absorb it without you feeling it. And uh, they are working on this thing, thinking that there's a real legitimate potential of it being changing <coughs> a lot the the way of, the, the face of combat sports in the future. And I was really, I mean, clearly they are not there now, right? But like the whole link, I'll try to dig it up to see if I can find it again. The, yeah, 
but something that Bennett sent me that was nuts. I mean, you saw the demonstration was crazy. They would see this guy that clearly can move perfectly the way he's at, and he's getting a whack with some crazy stuff and doesn't feel it. It's like a superhero. Yeah, what they are trying to do is they are trying to develop it in such a way that then the, um, the suit itself records the intensity of the blow oh. and what it would have done to you had you not have the suit on. And they are thinking to develop it as, uh, you know, you can basically bring up the gladiators because you can have weapons fights with it wow. without getting hurt, right? It's the Dog like Brothers' wet dream, right? Those guys would be so happy. Mm. Now, of course, there is an element of it that completely would change the dynamics if you were able to do it because part of the game is that fear, that fear of getting hurt, which changes the way you fight, obviously. It changes the way you train, changes everything. If you are not afraid, he's like, I'll take one gigantic hit to the head to give you another one. He's like, of course, he would he would not be real in that it's sense. It's very tough to do because there's little differences anatomically between getting hit here and little in here. But it's it like it, geographically, like of on the course. body, it's, it's small. But in reality, it's life and death or, yep. you know, lights out or lights on. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how they can duplicate something like that. I mean, I'm sure they can, as good as the technology is now, and perhaps ever, they can only duplicate it so much. Some of it is guesswork, because you get hit in one spot or you get hit a millimeter away, sometimes with the same intensity, and one time it drops the guy and one time it doesn't. And so it's kind of like there are other factors at play that I'm sure you can just calculate with a computer or something. But it's interesting in terms of that's kind of what people are playing with the concept of how can you be able to still go full on without the horrendous physical damage that come from a lifetime of getting hit, hit in the head because that's undeniable you know there are not too many issues about the fact that getting hit in the head is not good for you that's just where it's at but then are people going to be interested in that versus watching real people get really hurt right like is that not more the interest like at the end it's going back to roman times right yeah. like people want to see people getting eaten by lions right do you think what do you think is the fascination for that? Do you think it's just pure sadism? You know, you just want to see the blood and gore. Do you think it's an element of seeing somebody who is challenging in some way their own mortality, their own fear, and being able to rise above it is inspiring, and so there's a cool element about it? Is it other reasons? Is it a combination of these? I think it's a combination of different things, and I, and I think... When you, I, I think part of the model, you almost have to look at WWE. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is people want to tune in when there's a story. Right. And when there's invested interest in good versus bad. Right. Winner versus loser. If it's just two guys fighting and there's no, um, there's no drama around it, you're not going to get as many people tuning in. You can have the best fighter in the world. Nobody gives a shit. It's just a fight, whatever. Right. But I think people want to see someone who is good be um, rewarded and someone who is bad be punished. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that old morale. So it's a good kind of versus evil tale. To, that's to, to a certain degree. The... And I think also, to and I, and I think people have also a thirst for violence. Sure. And some cultures more than others. I mean, some of it, fascination for violence, yes. The point is why. And I think the reasons why vary. Is there it an are, evolutionary thing? That's well, the question. I mean, it's one of the things like, what are the most intense experiences that anyone on earth can relate to? Primarily violence and sex, you know, things that go through the body, 
that you don't need, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your intellectual opinions, none of that shit matters. You know, anybody who has a body. It's life and death. Right. You're dealing with fight or flight, life and death. It's, you know, you could argue it's it's at, at the most base point of our brain in, in terms of the amygdala and aggression and all this of stuff. Of course. Like, and there's the pleasurable aspect, you know, something like sex, which obviously is interesting and to anyone who's alive just because it's sex. It feels so damn good. You don't need to intellectually understand it. It is what it is and it's powerful. And what else is crazy, intensely physical violence, right? It's you know? very stimulating. So both aspects, that's why Hollywood is built on it. That's why all entertainment is built on it because that's, what's, that's what anyone can relate to. You know, it's just part of being a mammal, part of having a body. You're going to be into those things. Do you find that in Europe, violence is as... Um is as uh, desired to watch as in North America? I think it may be, I mean, culture certainly play a role in things, but I think it just may be a little more frowned upon, but not because people don't feel it. It's just, it becomes like a cultural thing, like we don't indulge in such thing. Yeah, we do, of course we do except that you it's not as cool to say it it's, it's less, not as glorified to, to lay it's like almost like a very basic thing is like yeah it's less uh, approved to admit it mm. but it's kind of like being in the middle of a priest <laughs> but, convention but it, and they're all saying no we are not really interested in sex it's like well you can say whatever you want you're still into it you know <laughs> but isn't it just... funny how it's the opposite with respect to sex in europe and north america so for example in in europe you have you know, infidelity is something that is actually culturally accepted. Sure. But in North America, you don't talk about that shit. Right, 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 right. Of course. Yeah, you have, I saw a statistic. It was pretty funny. I think it was UK. Uh, well, most of Europe is like that, where <clears throat> they did like DNA tests on people and figured out that the humongous number, I forget if it was like 25% or something like that, 25% of kids, their father is not really their father. Get out of here. And no. that's, yeah, it was an insanely high number. It was like crazy high. What? Yeah, we're just... You know, it's like, yeah, that's what you think is your father. But, well, <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. The, um, so, yeah, there's that. There's certainly an element where, and there's something to be said in that regard, where the um, being honest with oneself, being honest in what fascinates you, regardless of whether it's culturally accepted or not, whether it's culturally cool or not, there's something to be said about it because if you are not honest, then the way it's going to come out is going to come out as some nasty, ugly perversion. If you are honest with yourself, you can find ways to channel it in a way that's good, that's healthy, that makes you feel good, that doesn't do damage to anyone else. And, and if you repress it. Yeah, if you repress it, you're just creating, you know, you it are. It probably makes it even more. Of course. Yeah. It's priest pedophilia kind of thing. Yeah. It's uh, the whole full thing. It's like, what was the was the guy the president of the um, uh, evangelical association in us the what was his name ted haggard something like that ted haggard yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yes he's not homosexuality is evil masturbation is evil now give yeah. me a lady boy and some crack yeah it's like and then you're going you got caught for math with a gay hooker yeah. i mean it's not just he suddenly he, he like, could have just he was, prayed the gay away and he was my bag boy him. he was just carrying my bag for me <laughs> he's carrying his sack yes it's like you're not even just saying no suddenly okay masturbation maybe it's okay maybe sex actually is all right no you don't just you can't just go there you have to go to doing math with a gay hooker I mean, he's like, what the f that's what happens when you repress stuff. 
I mean, the, in the case of Catholicism is interesting too, because Catholicism officially, the rules are so insanely strict that clearly nobody can live up to them. Impossible. And so what ends up happening is that the overwhelming majority of Catholics are actually way more relaxed than most Protestants, because Protestant rules are not quite as strict as Catholic rules. <clears throat> Somebody could actually try to live up to them, and so they do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's more this idea of, no, these are the standards we actually try to live up. But to then them. they don't have to go to church and repent for as right. many sins, which doesn't keep them in business <clears throat> as, as, as well, I would imagine. Precisely. But then there's the idea of you actually, you know, even though the standard may look lower in terms of how intense it is, people actually go there. Whereas in most Catholicism, the standard is so crazy high that everybody has an understanding that, yeah, it's just, that's not going to happen. We're, and we're going to be capitalists and fuck everyone. So what you actually do is way more relaxed than what most, but like Protestantism in theory sound more mellow. In reality, it's way harsher on most <laughs> the, the internalized rules that people live by than the way most Catholics live. That's why there's always the paradox of what officially the Catholic Church states and then what the reality of what most Catholics actually do. I mean, it's like the fact that to this day, the Catholic Church is against most forms of contraception. And like some 90% of Catholics regularly use contraception. They just agree it's not like, to recognize each other in the rubber eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, again, is if that's the standard, yeah, I'm glad that you don't live up to it. It's actually a sign of intelligence that you don't, and I'm glad. But at that but point, just admit what, that it's not exactly admit it exactly. Why even pretend that that's a good standard? And then my like, problem, and this is, I guess, a problem with my mentality, is I'm very much an all or nothing kind of person. Because you listen, I'm, I'm you know late thirties, so obviously growing up, your parents try and push push certain religious aspects down your throat. But my whole thing was that, like, for example, my parents were Jewish. I think my, I would think like, well, we're having steak at dinner. How come we're allowed to have butter on the corn? Well, if I'm if we can mix meat and milk now, then fuck everything. Right. <laughs> like, why does anything else make sense at of that course. point? So, but people choose which parts are okay for them as they go, and that's a, that's a moving target. That's one of the things about the biblical narrative that's hilarious. That if you go by lots of Old Testament laws that look like divinely ordained laws, and there are passages in the Old Testament that state this is to never change, this is forever and ever. So it's not saying, well, this is for now, but wait for an update 500 years <laughs> Just down download road. it. He's telling you, no, this <laughs> is coming it. out in the new iPhone. You know, anybody <laughs> who takes a word out of this is doing the wrong thing, and yet people do. And he's like, well, we'll stick to that rule because that's saying something that I actually still like today. That other rule, come on, can you believe that bullshit? Uh, so no, it's like we change... Is the beautiful thing about like the Old Testament is that people, Christian as well as Jewish people, if there's something in the Old Testament that they dig, it's the Bible, it's the word of God, it's sacred. If but don't look over here. If there's something in the Old <laughs> Testament that they don't dig, well, it was That's back not what then. They meant. It's they didn't not mean really, that. you know, and yeah. it was for those times. I can't kill my neighbor. To, yeah, there's all it's like come on man just be honest with the fact that you're making it up as you go and and i respect that because i think that's what yes. ultimately everybody's doing in some way but be honest about it what were your parents what were you raised nothing really oh really uh, yeah it was uh, i think they were more on a atheist side of things my mm. take is somewhat more agnostic but i don't think even this, that kind of subtlety existed in the context in which they grew up it was either you are catholic yeah. or you are not there was nothing in between sort of thing so my father was a Holocaust survivor. Right. Yeah. 
and so he was i mean he spent his childhood in orphanages and literally in hiding running from nazis right so when you're and then at that point if you're gonna if you're gonna be eating pork because that's all that there is Mm -hmm. you kind of come to terms with that in an early age and then you see certain atrocities during the holocaust and i know some people can use that and they they find a reason to become religious right but i've always been like my brain has always been on the side of how can God justify, like, how the fuck? Of course. In my mind, there's nothing permanent. Right. Like, I can't, even in terms of philosophically. Right. You're going to evolve, you're going to grow. So, like, this thing that means so much to me now, like, how in 10 years, I'm going to fucking hate it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, and just to use another university reference, do you ever write a paper and finish the paper and go, this is, this should be posted everywhere. Everybody should read this. This is brilliant. This is incredible. And you hand it in or you finish it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you read it mm-hmm. like months later or like a year later and like, and you're like, this is the most, imba- I can't believe I wrote this shit. Really? It's so fucking embarrassing. That never happened to me. I always reread my stuff and I go, <laughs> <Yeah>. God, <laughs> who wrote that? From? No, but it's the That's same like, thing. Like you come back to something and you're like, I'm not this, I don't like this. Sure. I mean, things change. That's a fact. You That's... think there's people that are upset with their creed tattoos now? Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, and that on one end, I completely agree with you. On the other end, just to play it both ways, because I think you can look at it both ways. There's an element that is like, you know what? Who the fuck cares what it is 10 years from now? There's only right now. And Mm -hmm. me right now wants to get the damn tattoo. And, -hmm. you know, 10 years from now, I hate it. Shit, I'll deal with it 10 years from now. You know, there's like... He was like... a huge Yosemite Sam fan at the time, though. <laughs> so how can he resist? And put it on the ass cheek so it blinks like that. That was a great idea, too. That's yeah. cute. But again, there's something about sometime the ability even to make stupid or what look like stupid choices later on. And I think we're all guilty of it, of being of having a conviction of something. Say, oh, this is what I... This is... It's this. Sure. But that's why it's very healthy to keep... Uh, to embrace the fact that everybody, I mean, of course you have convictions, otherwise what the hell are you about? You know, you need to live, you need to have preferences. There are things you want, things you don't want, things that seem desirable, things that seem stupid, you know, that's a given. But keeping a degree of flexibility about it all, mm-hmm. keeping a degree as, as strongly as I feel about this and I really have a hard time seeing it any other way, maybe, you never know. You, you know, never you know. never know what's up because the part never I don't like never, yeah. is when people get take something that even the best idea in the world, they take that and run so dogmatically with it, where suddenly it's not the best idea in, in the world anymore. Like not getting your it kids becomes, vaccinated. It becomes you know that's why on the things like <laughs> stuff like stuff like that like on all of measles those. are on the comeback, smallpox is on the comeback. You know, yeah, unimaginable. How many people can that hit in New York though? All of <sighs> those debates though to me are messy because to me in many many cases reality is messier than any of that like take that example right i mean there's clearly there's clearly a lot of the scientific consensus is vaccines are safe is all good blah 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 at the same time you do hear and see or in my case even personal experience of cases where suddenly something is not that good and when you go back to the good scientific answer they tell you well what just happened your experience just never happened it just it can be it's not true and you're like motherfucker i just i'm I'm not saying that you're wrong about everything i'm not saying that at all you're probably right about 99 percent of cases but i'm telling you look there's something that doesn't quite fit with your current theory can what do you think it is and the reaction rather than going like hmm Let's look at this and consider it for what you may say about a general thing is, I don't want to see it. 
it does not fit it my current compute. paradigm. It's like this cognitive dissonance that yeah. I can't deal. Like on the vaccine thing, it's funny. I remember like I had a million vaccines, right? You grow up, you have vaccines, or yeah. you whatever, those normal, needles. right? Yeah. The, um, I had, when I got my green card, they then wanted to do more vaccines because like now you are a permanent resident of the United States, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, and again, I don't think any of it because I never even heard much anything bad about vaccines. So what's the problem? They give me the shots in like an hour, my energy level changes drastically in a way that I've never experienced, right? Where suddenly I have, I'm operating on maybe 20% of my regular energy. I feel for the next two months, I feel nothing on a sexual level, like nothing, not a tiny bit, which is like, are you fucking kidding me? That's not the way my body works. You know, if I see anything that's remotely look like a woman, I feel Mm. something, you know, it's like, and it happens like that, like within, so it's up, there's not even an issue, oh, it's a coincidence, it's like, it's so dramatic and something that never happened to me before or after where I'm like, okay, there was something, and I'm not even saying that those vaccines were bad, I'm just saying maybe too many all at once, Maybe who the fuck knows? I'm not even drawing conclusions from that. I'm it, not. It wasn't the vaccine at all. It was the NSA chipset that they put in. The, right. <laughs> the, so to that me, sucks uh, for a little while. We and, love the NSA. Hey. And when I go back and say, "Hey, I'm experiencing this stuff," and I'm not even criticizing or saying vaccines are bad or anything, and the medical response is pure denial, then suddenly I'm thinking, you know what? I can trust you, motherfucker, because you are lying to me right now. And if I can trust you about these, then what else can't I trust you about, you know? And that makes you, all the stuff that looks like solid scientific conclusions makes you wonder how solid is really this stuff? And it gets to the point where then I feel I can't trust anybody. Because if I look at the anti-vaccine camps, I feel that they are selling me something. If I look at the pro-vaccine stuff, it looks like they are selling me something. I feel there's no nuance. I feel like on both ends, it's hard to find objectivity trying, with everything. Yeah, they are trying to sell me a prepackaged conclusion that doesn't admit exception, that is all very simple and straightforward, is very black and white. And so suddenly I'm like, yeah, you guys are full of it. And I don't know who to trust, and I don't know what I can really take into account and what's not. And that's what I mean by that sense of uncertainty, even about the things that you feel the strongest about. Again, take the case in point, if the vaccine thing is truly as good and as safe as it's advertised, and I'm not saying it isn't, then be willing to admit that maybe there are some possible issues that one in a gazillion cases it happens, right? That doesn't take a great stretch of imagination. That's actually pretty. When you are unwilling to see that, there's a documentary that I I heard about, this one thing about, they say that uh, marijuana oil may have some major uh, anti-cancer properties. Mm -hmm. And there's the story of this one guy who's like a right-wing farmer from Canada who's never, you know, marijuana, fuck that hippie stuff and all of that. And um, he he had developed skin cancer in a way that like really affected him. He's gonna have major operation that's gonna fuck up his face badly and so on. And somebody just telling, you know, try this, just put it on like an ointment, you know, you Mm. rub the oil straight into it. He goes back for a visit and they tell him, your cancer is gone. We have no idea what the hell happened. You know, this is it. And so the dude start telling him, you know, he goes back to his doctor, camera in hand, tries to discuss the whole thing. And he's like, well, this is what they did. Can you believe it? And the doctor basically chases him out of his office. He's like, I don't want to hear it. You know, he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why you have cancer no more, but I don't want to talk about it. It's like, we're done. 
And that again to me is like, what the hell are you so afraid that you shut out? And again, does not mean that that's the cure for cancer. Who the fuck knows what factors went into it? Maybe there was something else going on. Maybe there was, there is no certainty. You know, again, it's not like I'm selling, take marijuana oil, that will save you from everything. Snake oil. But the fact that <laughs> you are unwilling to consider a direct experience, that says something very scary about the mindset, you know? Close-minded. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if it works or not, but <clears> let's <throat> fucking try it. What's wrong with testing it rigorously over and over and over again? Which and city, what, where was this guy? You know what, I don't remember. There's uh, the website he's got, it's called the Phoenix, as in the, the mythological bird. But this happened in Canada? I believe so. You know what, honestly, I've seen so much freaking stuff lately that my brain is getting melted by overload of most information. I think most doctors would have an opposite perspective in terms of like, hey, if it's helping, take it. That's I think tip, figure, that's right? a typical doctor yeah. response. I that's, would think. But then again, there's also the aspect of business. There's also the aspect that when you look at certain things where there's so much money tied to it, something that may mess with that paradigm. It's kind of like when I go to every other doctor I talk to, well, not the ones I try to talk to, but a lot of doctors have interacted with even super nice people. There's the it's the pharmaceutical industry talking to me through a representative, you know, telling me what's best primarily for them. And if it happens to help me, great, but that's a side effect, you know? Mm -hmm. So I also feel that there's that going on sometime and depending on what you get, it's not even that they are the agent of evil they are trying to fuck with you, is that their whole training has been imprinted on one particular model and so in some cases it's hard to step out of that and look at it from different angles a guy who's a good guy will do exactly what you say which is like look this is not what i learned this is not my training this is i don't see how it works but hey if it's producing results mm -hmm. why not that's good science right it's as long as it produces results that's what counts this prozac i'm pushing is great for spleen disorders too i'm telling you right Hurt spleen have but some it's of these true you get to feel better you're not really sure if you're getting scammed of course, that's, but that's my problem with just about everybody. Everything, yeah. That everyone who's trying to tell me something, I always feel like the- You have to getting, filter it with a bullshit filter. Yeah, and the problem is everyone will all, I don't think most things are that black and white where somebody's 100% wrong or 100% right. I mean, in some cases, yes, of course. In some cases, there's somebody who's just completely delusional or somebody who's that on. In a lot of cases, people will focus on a tiny percentage of what totally makes sense from their point of view, exclude all other information, and that's what they are going to be focused on. And so when you listen to them, they make perfect sense because they are only giving you 20% of the information. And the other guy makes perfect sense because he's looking at a different 20% of the information. And none of them is willing to put it together in a cohesive thing because everybody's and not even selling you because they, again, is in some cases he's about money. In some cases he's selling you because that's their, it's dogmatic mindset is I found something that works. I'm going to cling to it in every conceivable way, apply to every situation regardless. Of, and I'm not going to consider evidence of the cases when it doesn't work. You know, that's it's where. Almost, it's like a religious mindset in terms of is. just ignoring certain things and being dogmatic about what you choose to be into at that given time precisely and people do that in every context religion is clearly one of the prime examples of this stuff but why do people, you think people need something 
to believe in, not really in religion. Religion sure. is just one aspect. It could be, even with martial arts, you get yeah, the same, same kind thing. of... Yeah, same thing. Karate is awesome. Judo sucks. No, what are you talking... You know, it's like those kind of debates, right? Where is uh, the loyalty is, to the, the one it, way? Is it almost like that that thing when you're a kid of like, my dad can beat up your dad? Is in it, a way, it's yes. Just like, this is mine and it's the best and... And I think the psychological impulse to that, which is reinforced by ego, as you are saying, of the my dad can beat up your dad thing, is there's an element of it that boils down to desire to make sense out of a crazy, chaotic, complicating life in a universe that rarely makes sense, mm -hmm. where you are thrown into this universe that there's so much out there that we don't understand, there's so much, you know, all the big sources of anxieties, you know, what happened after you die? What uh, is there any meaning in the universe? Is there any moral order to the universe, or is all kind of run? You know, all those questions that is she pregnant again? <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> you wanna find out the answers, and yet you can't. And uh, people then will just get glued to whatever little bit of truth they can find, and want to hold on with it and apply it as a shield to the entire universe because they are scared to face the universe without certainties. And I don't blame them. I get it while you'll be scared to face the universe without certainties. At the same time, you're trying to have a certainty in a case where you can't is just sad because it just not only means that you're going to be willing to become misguided because you apply a fraction of truth to try to make it the whole thing, but it also shows how damn scared you are. And again, it's not that it's an illegitimate fear. It's a legitimate fear. I get it. But it's still a fear. That's where it comes from. You know, it comes from having to face the universe without this rock solid thing that you can use to explain everything that ever happened and to you. And the strongest your conviction, the strongest your conviction is really a reflection of how afraid you are. Yeah. That's why to me, ideology is a disease. You know, these. It's I reinforcing this irrational fear. Yep. These ideological fear over there we can use for our uh, purposes. Yeah, exactly. Well, Bring it right over here, friend. We can we'll help just turn you the that. news on. Right. Oh, yeah. the new, that's what Design. the news is for. Yeah. You know, it's always it's always um, revolving around fear mongering. It's, it's the crazy stuff. Well, it's really gone off the rails now because now, like a, a, a child that's kidnapped four thousand miles away from you is on your front page. You know, yeah. 30 years ago, you never would have heard about things like that. Of course. In the community. But now, you know, you got to hear about all 330 million glued. of us. They're glued to the TV. What, what else is going to attack me? What else is well, going to happen? Well, amazing how crazy. And this will be really old when the time comes with the, and maybe solved by them. But the insanity people are going on about this plane. Oh, the disappeared plane, yeah. which again, yeah, this is going to be like, funny because we probably, you guys know everything that happened and we are talking about it at the end of, no, first day of April today, but by the time we mm -hmm. release, it's probably going to be two, three months from now or something. I told you it landed so, on an island just like the show. Right. Yeah, Lost was awesome. But I just love, it. just on that note, and as a sidebar, I just love how every time they see something in the ocean, it's like, oh, we, here's the plane. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's not really the plane. No, that wasn't the plane. Uh, we found some other stuff. It's over here. They're just trying to keep people glued. It's like this. Uh, yeah, uh, of you, course. You know, there was a great tweet yesterday that this has done more to show how horrifically clogged the ocean is with shit than anything before. <laughs> of course. Because every time it's another fishing net. It's another yep. collection of plastic from some farm. Yep. It's just, oh, man. 
So let me tie a couple of things that we just said uh -huh. together. Uh, earlier with the whole fascination for violence and fighting and the whole point of MMA. And uh, then, you know, we played with that a little and we got in a mm -hmm. different track. And I like to combine those because what we just said about fear, which is sort of a prime factor affecting everybody's decisions, affecting everybody's mindset, affecting the way people relate to the universe. So to me, it's like one of the most important thing that any human being can do is deal with their own fear, figure out ways to, I don't know that you can ever fully eliminate fear, but lessen its hold on you, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably a more realistic goal than just say eliminate fear, because eliminate is probably not going to happen. But lessen the hold of fear in your life, it seems like the healthiest thing anybody can do because you're going to be less likely to be the hostage of uh, uh, people trying to sell you shit by feeding on your fear by you and then there's the counter argument to, isn't there, there's a healthy dose of fear that you need there's of course the fear in the sense of a smart fear meaning there's something bad there stay away from it because that's going to kill you that's obviously a good survival mechanism which is why fear is so powerful in us right because mm -hmm. there's a place where fear makes all the sense in the universe is what keeps you alive rather than ah, i think it would be fun jumping off this thing into this pool 300 feet down is like no there are sharp rocks at the bottom and the odds are high that you, you know it's like so there's an element of fear that clearly is good and then there's an enormous element of fear that makes you more dogmatic more prone to fall prey to the random new hitler coming on promise you strength dogma join us and everything will be great you know all of that he will make you a cooler human being in interpersonal relationship. It will make you greater in romantic relationship. It will make you greater in everything if you can, if you're not this little sad being that get to be pushed by their own ears. This anxious fears. thing that's afraid of its own shadow. Exactly. So the point of tying it for me is back to the MMA thing. Mm -hmm. w the one thing that fascinates me about MMA is not so much the, you know, bloodshed and gore in the most obvious sense. It's not so much, you know, I don't share the lady screaming, break it, break it. You know, I don't get off on seeing violence for violence sake. What to me MMA is all about is that is a great drama that puts on stage uh, heroism puts on stage the fact that you are walking You're into something this fear. yeah that scared the shit out of anybody who has a brain mm -hmm. and yet at the same time you have to rise up to the occasion and be able to overcome it which in turn just watching it is inspiring and aren't the most interesting fights when the guy one of the guys fighting scares the fuck out of you the yeah, most absolutely like you see this guy and you think what this guy would this guy would make me his bitch yeah i gotta see what's gonna happen right and seeing you're in you're emotionally you're emotionally yeah. invested that aspect to me is what really interesting about mma mm -hmm. it's sort of a hero drama in which it reminds you of those qualities that you want to develop mm -hmm. and so when you see somebody step up in the face of something terrifying and be able to deal with it's like it, like a superhero exactly that's what it boils heroes. down to and again it's not so much for pure voyeuristic pleasure is about in Ident a way, that you're identifying with the character yeah it's inspiration it's the same way yeah. as if you watch an amazing movie or you listen to the best music and something that just moves something in your spirit that makes you want to be a better human being you're relating to this ideal right that um that and and with and within that you're taking a piece of it and you're internalizing it 
right and by observing it and analyzing it and picking it apart and you know having some kind of connection to it it's almost like you yourself now have more of that within you right you know yeah because i mean we all need daily inspiration in that regard we all need to what what is it that joe says rogan when he says uh, you know the whole idea about being the hero in your own movie you need that inspiration to then apply the feeling you just got by watching something amazing by watching something that elevates you to some degree you're gonna step up yeah it makes you want to approach your own life differently and if you if you are wise enough to remember it not just leave it in the movie theater not just leave it when that song and not just leave it oh that was a cool fight okay i'm done now i go back to being my shitty life you can use it as fuel to feed a fire to help you approach life differently do you remember when rocky 4 came out uh, I got the lost Drogo in the one? Rocky thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the right. And, yeah. and and he would have in the movie these training montages when mm-hmm. he's training in Siberia, and he's doing all that shit. He's doing the sit-ups off the rafters, and he's and he's pushing the sled. He's running in the snow, and Drago's doing his training, and he's doing all this stuff. It's impossible to watch that and not feel like number one, you want to do that, mm-hmm. but also that you could do that, and this is the way to do this is the way to go through life right as this invincible being that's Mm -hmm. defying the odds and this is the template for doing it here just take a look at this so it's like a perfect condensed version it's not a fight but it's this perfect condensed version and obviously the you know the whole movie itself is one thing but but when you're watching real fighters go in for their training and you see these little clips and it's taking you to that place in your brain that that makes you want to be stronger tougher everybody's been afraid everybody's been you know bullied or this or had somebody that pissed them off that they couldn't tell off or, or mm-hmm. something like this and it's taking a point where oh yeah now i can relate to this indomitability is that even a word yeah well i don't know but it makes sense to it me. makes sense yes this desire to it really boils down to sort of invincibility in a way. indomitable yes. indomitability Sound we'll check it later. I make up English words all the time, so I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Well, in 2014, time, that's a word, so I don't know when you guys are going to be watching, listening nice. to this. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's something about that quest for self-perfection, which ultimately is what any human being who's not an ass should be on, in the sense that doesn't, you know, the way you define self-perfection may vary, but the idea that you're constantly trying to smooth the edges to improve the way you are as a human being in the way you relate to other people in the way you just are by yourself in what you can actually do all of that that's the most noble thing that any human being can be on or at least the most basic the one that then makes all the other cool things that you can get into possible uh do you think on an intellectual level uh, it has the same effect so in other words, we see a guy training and you know getting ripped and all this kind of stuff, and the masses love that. But do you think that if we were to see the same kind of process, it has the same the same kind of process applied to something that has more of an intellectual um, uh, edge to it, that it would it has the same effect on people? No, in the sense that I mean yes and no. There's some on some level yes, which is why people then worship some uh, writers or musicians or something who are able to go touch that vibe that lights a fire inside of them. At the same time, there's something so primal about again the basic raw elements of life. This the, guy can kill this guy. Yeah, exactly, and the fear that goes with it. 
Because he can kill me too. Yeah, and intellectual fear is not the same thing as that fear that grips you and alter your physiology because it grips you so hard, you know? That's a different level of fear game. You know, it's like, to me, when I think of one of my favorite, greatest hero moments of MMA, doesn't even happen in a fight. It happened between fights. I remember back, I think it was 2000, Pride at their first Grand Prix. And uh, Hoyce Gracie, well, being a Gracie, of course, he asked for special rules, has to be different from everybody else's kind of match. And he asked in this tournament format where they were fighting, supposed to fight multiple matches in the same night, he asked for a no time limit match. The only possible, there are no judges, only possible ending is submission or knockout. There's nothing Akuraba. in between, exactly. And the referee can't stop the fight. But a referee in Japan can still stop a fight, even if you sign that the referee can't stop a fight. But in that case, you won't even <laughs> get to that. If the Japanese is going to lose. Right. Because <laughs> what happens is they end up going through these six 15-minute rounds after an hour and a half of fighting, the longest match in modern MMA ever. Gracie can't get up. He's, you know, Sakuraba has hit him so many times. Or he throws in the towel. And exactly. They throw in the towel. Done, right? I mean, in itself, coming up on top from a 90 minute fight is the stuff that make legends. But the stuff that really interesting happened afterwards, because, you know, you just beat Hoyce Gracie. You're the first one ever to do it. Is this humongous hero moment. You're going, you're a god in Japan by this point. You can retire, never do anything and again. And at this and point, he had already beat a few Gracies. Uh, yeah, he had. And, you know, but beating the Hoyce was like the pinnacle of the pinnacles. And nobody, you know, Hoyce had asked for this 90-minute match. You are in part of this tournament. It was obvious that whoever win after 90 minutes, you know, is going to retire from the tournament, take their win, just be the hero of the day, and somebody else well, win Sakuraba had another fight after that. What does Sakuraba do? They have the next guy that he should theoretically fight is Igor Vovchenshi, and this dude who's Monster. like way heavier than him. I forget if he was 30 pounds or more, but like way bigger. Heavyweight at the time when Sakuraba should have realistically fought as a welterweight. Yes. Vovchenshi was the scariest guy on the planet at that point. You know, he would knock people out in monstrous, brutal fashion. Explosive so, and stocky. Yeah, so you're going like three weight classes up to fight the you're most, exhausted this you guy are, the guy's fresh the guy's and you're fresh. fighting a russian and what do you do <laughs> sakuraba comes out to fight again that's so insane that it's heroism well he I was mean, loose just, he's warmed up yeah exactly it's like i mean and the thing is by the way he will the fact that he managed to fight a 15 minute round to a draw where they are even after that is only kind of the cherry on the cake at that point. It's like it just the ultimate. But just the fact that he comes back out, I mean, it's just that's the hero moment. Nothing else anybody can ever do can match that in MMA. You know, that to me is after like... The, after that big fight. Yeah. It's like, how the fuck do you get back out and walk out an hour later? See, because to... in my mind, when he fought Hoyce, I thought he was holding back. In this, I thought he was letting Hoist go down on his sword because there were times where I thought he could have really fucked Hoist up. He may have. And I thought that he was holding back at certain points. And I don't think... It, it wasn't like he got a brutal beating from Hoist. Right. That being said, fighting anybody, even, if, it, even if you <laughs> grapple, yeah. like, you know, in, in third gear for 90 minutes, yeah, it's still it's, exhausting. It's insane. But at the same time, you still have this adrenaline from the crowd and, like, it's a Japanese audience, of which course. is like... 
you know. But what amazing is if a guy like, again, you go against some dude who weighs you by 30, 40, 50 pounds, who's the most fierce striker of the planet at that moment, if you go in fresh, you are a crazy heroic <laughs> guy. If you do that Depleted. after 90 minutes, after you have just finished the longest match in modern MMA. You have that balls. Yeah, it's like to a level that you watch that and you you think about your own life and you're like, yeah, I can deal with that. I, I, I think I can go take care of I remember once I had this weird, um, in a micro fashion, a way in which martial art helped me. I was at um, I was at UCLA and I had to pay back then I I was not a citizen I was so I had to pay no resident tuition which was brutal right you pay crazy amount of money that I didn't have so what I typically would do is like I would take UCLA had this strange system that they would let you uh, you pay a flat fee regardless of how many units you take full time so if you pay if you take 12 units you pay a certain amount of money if you take 20 you pay the same amount of money so clearly there's an incentive if you're trying to make money to save money to take shit lot of classes right so i'm there for two quarters after transferring and i'm like shit i may have to be another three or four quarters that's way too much money i can't do it da, da, da. i went to do this one martial art tournament and it wasn't even that scary but for me it was after getting through that process, getting through well and feeling like I can't fucking believe that A, I stepped up and B, I actually stepped up well and could do it in that good fashion. The second I was done, I remember thinking, I can take 24 units in a quarter. I think I can handle that and I'll save a lot of money. So let's <laughs> go and do it. And, you know, I finish yesterday in the next two quarters, taking number of units that should objectively not be allowed to any sane human being to do. It pushed my limit, and I found out that actually that wasn't that far out of my limit. I could do that. It wasn't the place where you should be afraid because you're doing something stupid. It was a mm -hmm. place where I thought I had certain limitations. You went out of your I, comfort zone. That I really didn't have. That it was, I could just, I could push there without any negative effect. But, and, but that, and that's something that happens, and I would say in some martial arts, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. In the testable martial arts, mm -hmm. for the most part. Right. Um, and when I say that, I mean, there's traditional martial arts where... I mean, you're the, really the fear uh, and the reality of something bad happening, and bad means this, you know somebody hurting you or really mm -hmm. dominating you. It's not there. Like if you're doing, and no disrespect to people that do kadas or this and that, but that it's just different. Like yeah. you're trying to memorize shit, it's totally different. But there's so many times where I've had to do a fight at the end of class, or I've, I'm gonna have to roll. Like even last night, right? I'm you know r rolling with some of Eddie's top guys. I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm tight and like i haven't rolled in a long time yeah i don't i'm not up to this task mm -hmm. then you go in and you surprise yourself and you do better than you think that you're going to do um it's just one of those things that whenever you confront a fear like that it gives you much more confidence down the road for every little thing and Absolutely. you can translate into different situations life to life day to day Which so to me is what's really interesting about this stuff that you know you play golf or something you can be an amazing golfer it doesn't the only fear you defeat is performance anxiety which is a real fear is a big one but it's not the same as dealing with performance anxiety where your own physical well-being is at stake the level of fear increases so exponentially that the intensity of it all is just nuts you know and it's like difference i think in in psychology terms between stress and you stress i think is the right. term right and where you're just paralyzed with fear yeah and that's a whole different level a little of bit of fear game. is healthy that's why like when people are scared of public speaking, mm. 
and you know it's a common fear right a lot of people are afraid of public speaking when you compare it to yeah think about that fear you're experiencing right now and now imagine that what you're scared you that you're about to do involves some 250 pound dude trying to remove your head from your shoulders do you know that quote from hickson where he talks he basically says that he's afraid of everything yeah it's yeah. so great because you have this guy who's considered invincible and the ultimate man and right. the ultimate fighter essentially who is bred for really one thing and is a real life samurai mm -hmm. and he says oh it's not you don't expect this brave statement where it's like no i'm i'm not afraid of anything and i'm confident right. and, this and, that. and he says no actually shit everything scares the shit out of me and that's in fact to me that's the Honest. heroism aspect yes. because if you don't have any fear well then doing certain things is not heroic because you're Correct. not afraid of them the hero aspect comes in because you are afraid of them you step up anyway mm -hmm. and you're able to perform despite your fear mm -hmm. that's heroism Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just have some weird neurological disorder where you don't feel fear when you're supposed to. You're a cyborg, to, you know, like, exactly. you're a, which is great. It's interesting. We, sure. I, I'll still watch it, but it's different when there's a human element and you have to defy the odds. That's why, you know, the perfect suit that allows you to train full power martial art without feeling the effects is awesome from a technical standpoint, yes. but it will completely remove the emotional human. drama of it all because there's nothing at stake there's no there's no gamble there there's nothing mm -hmm. that you can lose and that to me is the fascination of the game again is that and, and that's why upsets are so interesting in mma of course and that's why they they, they engage you they're yep. just so great something that you know something about right yeah but but even the, for, yeah for sure but but i mean for me now even when i watch when i watch mma i love it when there's a good upset it's of so course. interesting yep when you have somebody who defeats the odds. And yep. that's why you think, oh, well, this fight's going to be a walkover for this guy. It's like, yeah, but there's always that factor that, like, you know, this guy, like GSP Sarah, mm -hmm. that when it happens, you're like, I'm witnessing. I remember watching that, and I jumped out of my seat, and I felt like someone I knew was getting hit by a car, and I was watching it. Right. It's like, this isn't my, it's not computing in my brain what I'm yep. seeing right now. This oh. isn't supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And you get, your emotions get, you just go haywire right because it's not computing with what your perceived expected reality is, is supposed to be and yeah there are so many of those moments that happen because the reality is that is not math the fights don't take place on paper they take place in reality and it is so a what if factor yeah big time so in that sense what prompted you after having you know the first the weirdest first match probably in mma history where you go against yeah one of the top guys in the world coming brand new when you're not a full-time professional in mma you do that you have a second match in shooter what then prompts you to say i'm done um and decide you know you spend martial art remain a huge part of your life you're still uh, teaching you're coaching you're doing all that the teaching was always a major part for me i knew that um if I wanted to make my career in martial arts, the longevity was in the teaching mm -hmm. and the owning the clubs and everything. And I was always, I was actually always taught how to teach. Right. Like that was part of the um, apprenticeship under my instructor. Did you have to pay extra money for that? <laughs> I had to do it for free. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had to do it for free at the beginning. You're gonna teach for me and you're gonna pay me for it. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah, of yeah, course. That's, you know. But at the rea but I mean, but I, I mean, you could almost argue against that in the sense of, or in the sense that like, you are learning how to do it. There's an exchange. Mm -hmm. There's an exchange. But for me, 
um, I didn't have the energy. You know what's funny? I knew in training sometimes, especially in the striking, like I remember being on the heavy bag and my boxing coach was like yelling at me like, you have to kill it. You got to want to kill this the bag and kill, 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 kill. And I remember part of me was thinking, this is an unhealthy thought process. Right. And this is an out of balance part of my brain that I'm trying to embrace, but I've worked so hard for so long to reject it and fight it and control it and not have this violent or impulse or this... Um, this emotion that I think is maybe unhealthy and to, cause you, you, you need it. Mm-hmm. That's how you get through some of the training sessions in terms of striking and whatnot. Um, and thinking to myself, this isn't, uh, this doesn't feel right. There was so many factors in conjunction with like just injuries and, um, and having been there and done that. Like one argument is, listen, it could have, I could have been built up uh, from a fighter's perspective and fought like no-name welterweights. That's how you build a fighter, right? Mm-hmm. You get them to fight guys. They get experience. Yeah. They win, but, you know, they improve their record, blah, blah, blah. Right. You go in and fight, like, who's considered, you know, the top guy at the time. Everything else is kind of anticlimactic. Right. <clears throat> like, for what? Like, what's the... Now Now it's like if I, if I win, there's no... It's not really a big deal. Right, and if I course. lose, it kind of discounts everything else that I've done before. Yeah. So... The payoff isn't there. Mm-hmm. And my coach is taking 50%. So the payoff yeah, isn't there either. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then I, I still had fourth year university. Like I still had a heavy course load. I was doing, I got into my master's. Actually, I was doing a master's as well at U of T at the time. Right. Um, so you're just getting split into all different departments. And there's, there's, there's actually other factors as well. I remember back then um, knowing that steroids would be an issue. Huh. And thinking that if I needed to compete at the top level, I would have to take something because everybody the, else is right. Everybody else is. And the reality is I know what my physical limitations are. I probably, I probably showed my potential. Um, I know I have certain physical gifts, but at the same time, in order to compete at the top level, you can't just have like a few physical gifts. Like you got to have yeah. everything. Right. And you got to be amazing in Olympic level in at least two different arts. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm tired. Let me just, I want to make some money and, live off the fat of the land and sit comfortably and right. do some other shit and run classes and uh, and not be in pain 24-7. So in the scope of your life, that was like a crazy huge moment, but that's not your life. You know, it Correct. was, that yeah. was uh, an amazing experience and then you move on and leave It's the like one of, of those life. random things that happens to people that um sure it happens to a, you know all the people who went to japan no, and I mean, like, it, no it's like fight. things happen to people in their daily lives that's like maybe amazing or random or whatever but it's not what it's not their life like someone right. might win the lottery someone might yeah. um you know uh i don't know do, do something that that is incredible within their life but it's not something that they're going to be doing all the time sure you know um and for me it was the right decision the teaching and the and the running the clubs for example was um was it's a lot easier uh path in the sense of physically even a guy like it's funny like your teammate a guy like carlos newton Mm -hmm. he also i mean he clearly went for a full mma career to some degree fought Mm -hmm. for pride fought anderson and and talk a perfect example of physical gifts right something somebody built for absolutely sport and yet at the same time he also had the same thing going where after a while you could tell that his heart wasn't really into it anymore and you know he's his career started peaking like crazy. He was doing amazing. And after a while, he started, I don't know. I mean, you are clearly closer to him, so you can tell. But it's like he wasn't, 
his mind wasn't focused on that. He it's, was doing... It's the kind of thing where, listen, it's hard. Right. And it's an individual sport. Right. In order to get better, you have to take bigger beatings. You got to... You, everybody's... Imagine, like, like, look at GSP, okay? Right. You got to give respect for respect. This is a guy who wakes up every day, or at least used to, and, and he knows that there's a handful of guys every day that are training in their minds to kill him. Right. And you have to go in and work the bag and spar and roll and study this lesson plan if, as if your life's on the line. Because it kind of is, That's right. That's fucking exhausting. Yeah, of course. So Carlos, and Carlos is the kind of guy that was actually gifted. Mm-hmm. Like, Carlos was, I remember, I, I, I was pretty technical when he came in and he would just roll with me and memorize shit I was doing. Like right. stuff that would take me years to pick up or months to practice that he would feel me do on him. And then he'd be like, oh, and he would take that move on like some kind of amoeba. Right. right? Um, or he would tell my instructor, my instructor would say, oh, did you do those 500 repetitions that you're supposed to do? And Carlos would say, well, I envisioned, I, I pictured myself doing it. That's good enough. <laughs> and we would laugh, but he'd fucking pull that shit off. Right. Um, so he's one of those guys that didn't have to, you didn't have to have that kind of work ethic. Right. Versus another teammate of mine at the time was Mark Bocek. Mm-hmm. Is a completely different example, but that is uh, really highlighting the point of a workhorse and a guy who's right. not actually physically gifted like a Carlos Newton, but works way harder and puts in lots of time. Doesn't have the same kind of success as Carlos, but will grind and work and has that work ethic. Of course. And when you're, I think there's a lot of times when you're that gifted, it's harder to develop that kind of approach to training and that kind of work ethic because you just, you didn't have to do it. Yeah. And there's something about it too that, you know, a guy like, did you ever see Carlos Newton fight Rich? I don't think so. I remember he was like a very early UFC welterweight champion. He was beaten by Bryce Hughes and that's how he lost the title and stuff. But he, one thing about him is that he was just a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, there's a match with him and Sakuraba where they mm-hmm. clearly don't want to hit each other. Like they are having an awesome time putting on this crazy grappling show and they are hitting each other like half-heartedly. Like, do we really have to, you know, they are... They are just having a blast. There's like Carlos Nudo would finish his fights and be all like, happy birthday, mom, and be all like, he's just a sweet, nice guy, or at least that's how they look like in that way. And he's like, in that sense, also developing that killer instinct, that desire to go in and kill, Carlos, kill, kill. Carlos just... wasn't ready for that fight either. Right. That's part of the reason, that's part of the story behind Carlos leaving um, and sort of divorcing my instructor at the time mm-hmm. because... Carlos actually went through a very bad breakup with his girlfriend mm-hmm. and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not fighting. Right. And my coach once again was like, actually, I you need are. the money. So, <laughs> you know, actually, there's this pool that actually, I'm planning the to Japanese to don't like it when you back out from fights. Right. So we're going to Japan kind of thing. And right. Carlos was not emotionally. He wasn't there. Yeah. Like he was, his girlfriend at the time, I can understand, Carlos was, was basically like an orphan. Right. So this girlfriend was like, his world yeah um and you know i mean we all know i think what it's like to to like you break up with a sure. girl or this or that it's like your life is over you don't care about training somebody could kick your ass you're like i don't give a fuck i'm dead anyway right so he went in in that fight he was kind of um he, he wasn't going in there to smash he was grappling yeah and it's uh it's also kind of his personality in a way he was a guy and he had a lot like what you were saying he had a lot of other interests. He was in college. He wanted mm-hmm. to do seven million other stuff. Seven million, you know, yeah. like, yeah. So he wasn't a guy <laughs> who was focused on one thing and he's going to be the no. specialist at that one thing. He's like, 
yeah, I'm fighting this for UFC, but mm -hmm. really I want to become a doctor. But no, I actually want to think, I think I want to become an architect and design. Doing, Do you know that like, Carlos to this day is the only fighter that was under contract for both UFC and Pride at the same time? Wow. The only one. Crazy. Think about it. Yeah, that's right, because he did fight for both. He was at the fighting same for time. both, but yeah. the UFC didn't let anybody else do that. Right. But he was able to go back and forth. Yep, yep, yep. No, it was nuts. And he was fun to watch, man. He had some crazy Look sick at his skills. highlight reel on YouTube is yep. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Well, but yeah, one of the things that's funny about the universe is so here I am in my shady Japanese store on Sotel, which I love you guys, by the way, but the, you know, getting my Shuto VHS. And a few months ago, um, Joe requests me on Facebook and we are there and he's like, he said, oh yeah, you know, I, I heard you on Rogan. And I'm like, oh man, I love your fight with Rogan. It's like, it's, <laughs> and you know. Which is like such a trip for me because I mean, I don't know how relevant that shit is anymore, but it's like when you get like, you run into like a, a fighting nerd. Right, right, right. And they, they remember some stuff. It's like, or but even, you know what it is? It's like, as soon as you run into someone whose work you appreciate and then they appreciate something that you did, it's it's a nice feeling of course of course and it's the beauty of the internet is that none of this could happen prior right because it's never like, yeah who the hell is gonna have access to that kind of information or this weird cross but yeah internet makes the whole world considerably closer much easier to reach in that regard you know you remind me of something um i was in a bar with a friend of mine and uh someone had bumped into him i'll never forget i tell this story all the time i love this story and someone had bumped into him and it was kind of like one of those aggressive stare downs. Mm -hmm. And my friend had trained some Muay Thai, or whatever, but like he's very, very well connected. Like in the city, he's probably one of the most connected guys. Right. And it, it helps that he's also rich. But he, he leans into the guy and he says this into his ear. He says, he goes, be nice. You don't know who anybody is here. And it was the, it was the quickest de-escalation of a fight I've ever seen. Right. And it was one of the smartest lines I've ever heard to de-escalate a fight. Yeah. But bring it back to your comment about it's a small it, mm -hmm. you know the world is small it's that kind of thing be nice you don't know who anybody is of here course. and like you don't know you don't know who these this guy's going to talk to or this mm -hmm. guy's going to say and this and that you got and you don't know what kind of battles people are facing yep but it's a small world agreed and that's a hell of a good point most <laughs> definitely any last thing you want to throw out there um, things that you're doing that you want to know people about that um Twitter, you name, you know, whatever you want to put out there. Or just if anybody's in the Toronto area and they want to get in shape and they're sick of a regular gym, they should check out RevMMA.com. Cool. We're, the club is, uh, it's the, it was actually, Revolution was Toronto's first MMA gym. Mm -hmm. So we're doing everything from, you know, combat fitness classes, CrossFit, boxing, kickboxing, that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. And it's all for regular people. So it's not, we're not really gearing towards fighters. It's all regular guys that want to get in shape that are not, not, not looking to right. get hurt like... That's crazy, guys. Seems like a good <laughs> plan. <laughs> Excellent. Cool, man. Thanks so much for... Thanks for on. having me. Thank you. It's nice having an intellectual conversation <laughs> when you're on vacation. All fun. <laughs>
Yeah. But he, he was did. real deal. That's early, early on stuff. Yeah, and he found out he didn't like it. He did amazing and decided I'm out of here. So that's a rather different story than you normally hear in MMA. But um, yeah, glorious one. Well, I dig he's a cool cat. And thanks for coming by. It was nifty to chat with you. Absolutely. And speaking of thank you, big, huge, giant thank you to Sean Faust. I'm going to put Please check out the links since the only reason why this episode exists is because Sean decided to sponsor it. So as a bonus episode, he's uh, primarily promoting his music. And again, you guys want to just spend a buck to just check out some of his songs. That would be very sweet. And uh, half of that is uh, half of the proceeds are going to go to an association that's designed to kind of improve uh, living conditions for women and young girls. Uh, uh, stop abuse of women it's called equality now so again he's not even just doing it purely for himself half of it goes to charity which is really really sweet so yup 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 that was big thank you Sean thank you guys for listening check out the links for his stuff and you have a wonderful day And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary the thing? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> this was great, it's fucking awesome. Get back to work!